0: Welcome to the 36th episode of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A Toves and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to give our hot takes on the overtime win over Army and throw some Hail Mary shots down the field for our listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. Another week, another thrilling overtime game. This time, UTSA walked away with a victory, beating Army 41 to 38. The game did not start out the way the runners wanted. Penalties hampered the offense. Frank seemed out of rhythm on his long passes and Sackett missed a 48-yard field goal. On Army's second drive, a 77-yard pass caught the defense off guard and put Army on the board first. Finally, in the second quarter, the offense came to life with Army and UTSA trading touchdowns and UTSA capitalizing on a muffed punt by Army that Caleb Cantrell recovered at the one-yard line. Army hung on to a 21-14 lead at halftime. In the second half, Army scored on the first possession to build a 14-point lead, but the Roadrunners battled back with 21 unanswered part points to go up 35 to 28 in the fourth quarter. Army stormed back t- with a touchdown to equalize the game 35-35 with a minute left in the game. That was plenty of time for Frank to drive the offense down the field to set up what could have been a game-winning touchdown, but sadly, it was not Sackett's night, and he missed a 41-yard attempt that sent the game into overtime for a second straight week. This time, the Roadrunners prevailed, holding Army to a field goal and giving the offense the opportunity to win a game on a seven-yard pass to J.T. Clark. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't the game we expected from either team, but ultimately it was the win the Roadrunners needed. What were your thoughts on the game?
1: You know, I think we often overestimate or underestimate, sorry, the Army talent. Uh, You know, going into this game, I think overall both of us were just I think we were calm during of it just because of the fact that we both felt like it was going to be a loss like we you know I'll go over some stats here from 2019 and 2020 which I know are you know not this current team but it kind of gives you an idea of where we were at that time and where UTSA has gone to uh, but you know this is why we play the games I mean you've got an army team that sure surely isn't as athletic as UTSA yet they kept burning utsa why because of the scheme because of the way that they execute plays and you know that's a level that i think that utsa is kind of getting to now and i Mm -hmm. I think that's what gets us all excited right i mean we could be doing the same thing here with you know ut utsa going to ut this weekend and saying well we're not as athletic but we get hope because of the fact that when we execute we look pretty damn good Mm -hmm. so you know it gives us hope against ut and, you know, I think that's the biggest thing when we're looking at this. is, I thought Army was really played a weird game. Right. But it was also kind of based on the fact that UTSA was really sloppy. like They just seemed to finally persevere and kind of manage the game at the end. Yeah, you could say that they were the better team overall, but, man, did you really feel that way for a while?
0: I mean, that first half was... Exactly what we feared it would be kind of going into the game with that Houston hangover You know all week trailer was talking about Houston more than he was talking about army. He seemed really down on himself The team seemed to kind of have a better sort of, you know Look going into the army game in terms of like their outlook but trailer you just had to wonder if he was kind of holding the team back a little bit and then the excuses about you know the travel came out and so it just kind of seemed like okay this is why we have a slow start you know maybe it's all hangover maybe it's a little bit of travel but you know they just started out kind of the way you were afraid they were going to start out which was slow uh sloppier even more than than i thought they would be and i didn't really expect frank to be off you know the way he was because he's really been very precise in his passes but yeah we certainly didn't feel like the better team in the first half.
1: 10 penalties, 70 yards, already tells you that this is that there's a problem, right? Like, well,
0: and 7 out of the 10, we're in the first half, seven, right. so there's 10 penalties. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but we'll give them this, even with that sloppy play, which you know, essentially a lot of it was scheme driven on defense, where you know the defense kind of gave up some big plays because of the scheme, the way the Army runs it, again, a gimmicky offense that nobody sees from week to week. But no turnovers for UTSA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was one interception, but.
0: A penalty. I mean, I in an threw, army.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I would have thrown the interception because they were cheating and had 12 players out there. So, you know, you got 12 players out there, it's much easier to cover more, you know, the space if you got an extra guy out there. So, right. um, you know, I'm kind of joking about that, but seriously, you know, there's certainly, I would have expected Frank, you know, especially in the way that you, you had talked about, kind of, you know, overthrowing a little bit, kind of off target. To have at least thrown an interception, but you know, kudos to him. You know, I think some of it was the fact that he was being pressured, uh, and and had to release a little bit sooner than he had to, so he really couldn't put his plant foot down and drive the ball. Uh, and those other times where I think that you know he drove the ball and he really didn't have to, he had, a, he even said it afterwards, mm-hmm. just need to put some more air under it. And you know, it was just a mix, and I, I think he essentially was really the the great model for the team because. He was kind of off for like the first almost two and a half quarters, we could say. I mean, going to the third quarter, we were still a little, still kind of sloppy. And it just seemed like, you know, we had this turnaround. But let's talk real quick about Army. Because I already said Army really wasn't Army. Uh, This is the most passing yards for Army since 2007.
0: Right, which is just incredible.
1: (laughs) So let me give you some some quick uh, stats. 2019, 55 rushes for 340 yards. 6.2 average yards per rush. They threw twice for 18 yards. 30 minutes, essentially, of uh, time of possession. They scored 31 points on us. 2020, 60 rushes. 305 yards rushing. 5.1 average yard per rush. They completed one pass out of three. (laughs) It's a 53-yard bomb, which I kind of referenced in our preview last week. 33 minutes of time of possession. They scored 28 points. 2022. 56 rushes, in line with what we've seen before, 181 yards rushing, 3.2 average yards per Mm -hmm. rush. Here's an anomaly, 13 for 18, (laughs) 304 yards passing, uh, 32 minutes total time of possession, 38 points. Look, it's easy to say that, you know, Army was trying to do what it does they were trying to essentially run, continually run this um, run up the middle on UTSA, and I had talked about the fact that you know we had to shore up that middle of the line. You know, they had Jacoby Buchanan, who's a really a big dude, uh, at their essentially kind of fullback position. We uh, we listened to the Black Knight Nation uh, podcast. It was kind of interesting to see it from an opposing point of view because you know normally we don't get that chance to do so, but we were kind of driving back on Sunday. Uh, to do work. So, you know, you had found the podcast. We got the opportunity to, uh, you know, really kind of dive in deep into what Army thought. And it was really interesting because, and we'll reference a few things during this podcast from them, but um, I guess the main guy was really wondering why Army wasn't rushing on the edges. They were like, you know, it just seemed like there was, they just keep trying to pound, pound the middle and, you know, UTSA kept stuffing them, kept stuffing them, evidenced by, you know, the rushing stats that I just gave you. I give you the UTSA's linebacking crew. That's exactly to me why this didn't happen. Specifically the outside linebackers, Trey Moore, Jamory Robinson, and the Taylor brothers. Their speed, their awareness, and their tackling was crucial to keeping, you know, many of these, you know, outside kind of option runs in check. And I felt like as we were watching it, I mean, it wasn't just the outside linebackers. I mean, the inside linebackers like Trevor Harmonson, Jamal Liggan, Avery Morris, Martavius French. As they came in, you know, our linebackers really showed the awareness, you know, kind of keeping that, keeping the uh, rushers in check and knowing exactly where they're going to. It was clear that they knew exactly what spot to be to and they got there quickly, which is something we hadn't seen in the first two matchups. And I think that that really threw off Army. I mean, they, they pretty much dared Army to just say, beat us through the air. And so that's exactly what Army was doing.
0: Yeah, and they kept saying, too, in the podcast how athletic UTSA was and how they were surprised by how athletic UTSA was.
1: Yeah, because clearly they – I don't know if they had done – they don't really do a preview of, the you know, the opponent. So it was clear that they had no idea anything about UTSA. And it was really interesting, the fact that um, as they kept talking about how athletic, you know, I started this off by saying, you know, yeah, we were more athletic – Well, this is where the Athletic kind of really played, I think, the biggest part. It really wasn't on the offensive end against, you know, on their defense. It was here on this defensive end containing that option. You rarely saw any of the Army quarterbacks get out on the edge and able to kind of pitch. And in fact, one of them almost turned into just a disaster in overtime when the quarterback, honestly, it it looked like an option run was going to bust um, bust our defense uh, because they had a lead blocker out in front. But for some reason, he pitched it, like, to the lead blocker. And right. so they fumbled right there in that play. They they were actually able to recover it. But, you know, it was one of those moments where you're like, wow, is this going to turn right here? Like, we may <laughs> get the ball, and this is going to be great. But you just didn't see it so often because I think it's because of the outside on linebackers. They played contain well. They were quick. And, you know, I just can't gush enough about how well our linebackers played in this game.
0: Yeah, and, and I think we saw some uncharacteristic mistakes from Army in this game that— we didn't see when they played Coastal Carolina, and we certainly didn't see the last two times we played
1: them. Yeah, you know, and then I think, you know, I think it goes through, you know, for both teams, you know, mm-hmm. you're in your second game. College doesn't get a preseason, right? Like, it's like Trailer was saying, you know, you get tired of hitting each other, that you finally get a chance to hit someone else, and then you kind of lose awareness of, oh, I'm being too aggressive, or, you know, oh, I need to, you know, be smarter when I approach the runner like this, blah, 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 you know, whatever it is. It, it really does get interesting just to see how this team kind of looks. And both teams really struggled at times. And, you know, it's the second game. But really surprising, I think, from Army because it was their home opener. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, I felt like that's...
0: And we talk about how disciplined they are, you know, just because they're in the military. You know, so to see, you know, again, to see 10 penalties on UTSA is surprising because that's more than we typically average. But to see penalties on Army is very surprising because, again, you talk about how disciplined they are as members of the military. So for them to have seven penalties for 68 yards is huge. And, I mean, I don't have all of their stats in front of me, but it's probably a significant anomaly.
1: Certainly. But I think the story of this game, and I know I think some others have talked about, like, Frank's run. Uh, you know, about the fourth quarter. But to me, I think it was Cade Ballard's um, severe leg cramp. He went down. Just real quick, for anybody that watched the game, I'm sure you were frustrated because of the fact that the quarterback goes down for Army, and that's Cade Ballard here that we're talking about, and felt like it took forever. It was felt like a lifetime when we were at the stadium because... Yeah,
0: it seemed like he was laying on the ground for 30 minutes before they carted him off.
1: Yeah, and I, I'll say this. I think... I think it was a combination of, like, them really milking it. I think, you know, maybe it was Coach Monk in there, um, like, having a little gangsmanship. But for a severe leg cramp, you could have had a couple of your Army tough guys go out there, pick him up off the ground, and take him to (laughs) him to the bench. Didn't seem very Army tough for him to actually have a cart come out and, like, have to be carted off because of a severe leg cramp. Look, I get that the leg cramps can, you know, have a huge amount of severity, but I, I just...
0: I mean, the yeah. last time we saw a quarterback get carted off in an Army UTSA game was Lowell Narcisse, and he broke his ankle. So, I mean, that certainly qualified for the need for a cart.
1: And he was carted off quicker than yeah, <laughs> than Ballard was. Right. That's where I'm going here. It's just that I, I just felt like it was some gamesmanship. It really kind of lulled it, and I think it gave... Army a chance to kind of circle the wagons a little bit because they end up going up ahead by two scores at that point. Um, and, you know, it, it just seemed like, okay, cool, you know, this is what Army's going to do. But then again, you know, it's something that we had talked about, you know, outside of this pod right now is the fact that since we were expecting a loss, like, it just felt like, okay, it's 2014, oh well. But it felt like a mirage for 2014 because after that, you know, Army's not able to pass. Right. And that, I think, causes it. Tons of problems for this army team, and you know I think overall you just look at this, you know I I think that UTSA showed that you know their culture, the triangle travels, um, especially in this kind of tough game up there where, you know again you're you're facing a team with a gimmicky offense and you know one that like you said is disciplined, and that even though you may think you're so much more athletic than them, I've already given even in the preview gave the example of how they played. oklahoma tough in norman oklahoma so you know certainly underestimate army and you're going to get killed but i thought this utsa team showed a lot of resili- resilience mm-hmm. uh, in this game any other thoughts you had
0: i am just happy at the end of the day that this is the first time we played army and one of the utsa quarterbacks did not get seriously hurt i mean when frank did go for that long run you were talking about and he kind of like hurtled the the defender I did have a moment where my heart stopped for a second because I thought, oh, oh, this is it. This is when Frank gets hurt. But he bounced back up, thank goodness, and, you know, we, we made it through without a QB injury.
1: I'm going to say that of the, all the UTSA fans there in attendance at Mickey Stadium, and I've been calling it Mickey by the way, and I learned it's Mickey, <laughs> um... <laughs> I think we were, like, all the UTSA fans, like, cheered and were, like, really hyped up. So was the team. I think we were the only two that were like, uh-oh, this is exactly when he goes down. Because he...
0: I know. When I was, like, hyperventilating. He <laughs> was like, wait, get, get back up, get back up.
1: Because we were in the end zone seats. And, you know, we didn't get to see this until we saw the rewatch, or did our rewatch. And you see that, like, someone has essentially got uh, Frank's head, like, almost, <laughs> like, sideways on the ground. So, you know, for us... He just looks like he's on the ground, and we're like, oh, please get up. And then you kind of, if I see the rewatch, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we, we were probably justified in our worry. Because uh, that that looked, man, that's certainly a, the season could be be <laughs> in jeopardy here. Right. He's down. So, you know what, let's go on, and let's talk about a little bit about special teams. Uh, Jared Sackett, you yeah. talked about it in your recap.
0: Rough, Tough day. Rough day. It, Sackett had the yips. I don't know.
1: He, his misses, I think, in, in, to me in person, were worse than it looked like on TV. On TV, it probably looked like it was closer, but, you know... Uh,
0: watching it from the, the end zone view is different than watching it on TV, or maybe even from the side, I think. You know, as much as I did not appreciate sitting in the end zone, that was the first time I sat in the end zone, and, yeah, not the best um, viewpoint. But um, when you, you're looking at field goals, you can really tell... How far yeah. they're off.
1: Yeah. And then certainly I took a video of his first missed field goal. Now, I will say this look, as much as we're going to give him a hard time, we talked about in our preview the fact that he hasn't really been a, a kicker for the last couple seasons. Um, he did miss two field goals that are 41 and 48. We're not talking about field goals that are like 20 to 35 yards. Like those, I would expect him to automatically make. You know, we called we used to call them automatic sacket mm-hmm. for the longest time. So, you know, I certainly I think as he gets he, while he's got the leg, certainly the accuracy suffers as you know you pile on some yardage there. So, uh, I'm going to say that I th- hopefully he can hopefully he can just recover from this.
0: Yeah, he w- he was definitely in his head for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, because that second one was was definitely even worse than the first one, though. It did, but, it did like, all of a sudden it was a gust of air yeah. that, like, you know, pushed that. But I, I think it's just the way he kicked it. I think he kicked it well in terms of striking it, but I think he just sliced it. And when he sliced it, you could tell because it just kind of went off to the side. And that's – I don't think that he – I don't think he struck the ball in the right position. I think he just got enough of the ball so he can get enough distance, just not the way you want it for um, – in terms of accuracy. We did uh, – I do want to say though, Caleb Cantrell, holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> um, he's our long snapper on the punt team, and uh, what a great hustle and fumble recovery there in the, um, I think it was the second quarter, right? Or it was the first quarter? Um, no, it was second quarter because uh, we haven't scored in the first quarter yet. So um, great hustle from him. I mean, it was just a, a fantastic play. You know, it was. I think they kind of delayed it a little bit because they thought maybe he had kind of fallen into the end zone and maybe he had scored. Uh, but my, my long main uh, <laughs> deep snapper here did a great job. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Watching it the
1: rewatch, I just see him shooting down the field after his snap and like he he did a great job of making sure that that ball uh, that he just got a hold of that ball. To be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other thing I want to say is on that punt though, Lucas Dean had a great punt on that. I felt like he hung it up well. Now, I will say this, and maybe there is something to the fact that Jared had that, uh, that field goal push a little bit, but it felt like it kind of floated a little weird in that area. That's about where it felt like the, the field goal attempt later in the game kind of goes off to the side. Mm-hmm. It was bizarre to me that the Army player really seemed to misplay it. Yeah. Like, it felt like he thought that it was going to be going further right uh, from his body... And yet it felt like it all of a sudden just dropped closer to him and went off his legs so
0: i don't know did you think think anything of it munkin said in post game that he that that i guess the kid told him you know he got like his eyes got like lost in the sun or something and he lost sight of it so i don't know
1: it it did seem like there was something there you know to be honest with you um would it affected the the field goal kick by sackett you know to win the game no, I, I don't think it was that that strong of a wind. Um, we do, we know that because we had the parachuters come in and they said there's really no wind, you know, ground level. So I, I don't think that that was necessarily the issue, but certainly something, uh, you know, if it did help us there in the the second quarter, great, because at that point, UTSA needed it. Absolutely. So let's talk about the offense. We talked to the. I want to do a little kind of preview review um, here. That's a little bit of a mouthful. Um, you know, a couple of the keys of the game that I had talked about last week. Establish the run game. I thought we did an okay job, but we still kind of struggled. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, there were definitely a few times where we got longer runs off in this game than we had in the Army, I mean, sorry, in the Houston game. But, you know, we definitely still aren't at a point where, you know, we're getting that kind of consistent runs. I mean, we we were at 4.3 yards per rush attempt um, so you know not definitely where I think trailer really wants to be at this point
1: no but i would say that that's about close to what we had anyway was sincere right so i still think you know considering the offensive line issues we've had and it, it they did seem to do a little bit better job kind of and i think there were some injuries on the army defense on their line uh, late in the game so i think that helped to settle settled this uh, UTSA offensive line some and it kind of opened some holes. Traylon Smith had a great run to set up, um, I think it was one of Brendan Brady's touchdowns. So, you know, I, I think that they're going to, I think the UTSA offense is going to be fine. I think they're going to have a tough job coming up against UT, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Other thing I talked about was win time and possession. We did not win the time of possession. What I would say is that when I was looking not to see too much of a difference between UTSA and Army, and there really wasn't as much of a difference. I just think that UTSA was efficient, and that really, we go to the next part, which is, I said, they need to be patient and efficient, and that's exactly what UTSA was. They didn't try to be quick strike. Uh, I thought that, you know, Frank really did a great job of, you know, I, I'm going to say the way he dust his offense, so I'm just going to say he was a maestro, to be honest with you. certainly has complete grasp of this offense. You can see it just so well, especially now in the second game. You can talk about one game being sort of anomaly, like in the Houston game, but I felt like this game, outside of the, obviously, you know, he had some issues with some throws, but he still was throwing to the right area, right place, at the right time. Just to show just how efficient this UTSA team was, they were 11 for 15 on third downs. Now, that doesn't always tell the whole story, but when you're essentially getting, you know, not trying to be quick strike and kind of moving the ball kind of steadily down the field third down conversions are important. And I thought UTSA did a great job there. Now, one thing that they did struggle with was they were one for two in terms of uh, converting turnovers to points. They were 0 for one last week. They're now one for three for the season. And so I kind of see that as, you know, really as an issue because we're not turning those turnovers into points. And mm-hmm. that can certainly hurt you, especially against teams like UT, maybe even UAB or any other teams in Conference USA, especially one of the top teams in the Conference USA that could potentially hinder UTSA from challenging for the Conference Championship.
0: Yeah, and, and the one turnover that we did obviously convert into the touchdown that Caleb Kentrell yeah. recovered, he recovered it on the one-yard line. So, I mean, you know, you're almost not certainly guaranteed, but you're you're pretty sure that you're going to be able to punch that in. Where the other turnover... Um, when Rashad, you know, picked up the fumbled ball, we were...
1: It's more midfield. Yeah, we were more midfield,
0: and then that was the one that was the most disappointing to me, because we weren't right in the the red zone, but certainly we had very good field position, and it felt like that should have been something that we should have been able to get. You know, I was going to say at least a field goal, but maybe not this game. (laughs)
1: Wow, a little shot at Jared, huh?
0: It was just a bad day. He was having a bad day. Everybody has bad days.
1: <laughs> All right, well, I kind of talked about the offensive line, too, how they struggled. Look, Frankie Martinez really struggled this game. I felt like there were times, even Ernesto Almarez at times struggled, where it felt like there were times where they just really whiffed on, on some blocks. And I just thought, oh, no, Frank's going to get killed. Because uh, it it's coming from his blind side, and that's really crucial I get the left tackle, and I, I'll repeat this one more time. In our preview, we talked about how left tackle, while we needed to replace Spencer Burford, right tackle was going to be much more important because of the fact that it's Frank's blind side, and that's crucial for a quarterback. He's got to know, he's got to be comfortable with the fact that there's going to be somebody blocking for him, and if mm-hmm. he's being pressured, that also means that he could start feeling pressure, and he'll start throwing you know, passes early, you know, get out of rhythm with his receivers. So certainly affects a lot of things. I will say this, Frankie really keeps battling, you know, and Trailer even mentioned it on um, one of his press conferences saying, you know, he's battling. So is Benley Lee, Tatafu. They're both guards. Amores is also, I think, an interior offensive lineman. We've got interior offensive linemen playing tackles. It's, they're not used to the speed up there. They're not used to having to use their arms and their legs much like they have to do interior-wise. So it certainly affects them, and I, I think they're doing as good a job as they can just trying to get past these offensive line issues. You no, know, I go back to something you've talked about before, which is we're lucky we have Frank's escapability. Right. If we didn't, you know, we have a much more, um, I would say a much more unathletic quarterback that doesn't have that escapability, this could have been much more trouble.
0: hmm Yeah, and it's been interesting to see kind of, you know, how they're trying to use you know, the, the tight ends, the running backs, you know, kind of trying to, to help them, the O-line as much as possible. But, you know, given who we have playing, I think they're they're doing a great job.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Now, I will say, here's the last thing I, I, we want to talk about in the offense. Let Frank cook. <laughs> that last drive... We had about, a, I think it was about a minute, maybe a little, bit, yeah, a little bit over a minute to go to go to get the winning, winning field goal, winning touchdown, whatever you want to call it. I thought Trailer got way too conservative there. I thought let Frank Cook. You saw what he did against Houston, which is a much better defense than what you had against uh, here against Army. You had you kept running your wide receivers on slants that were burning those. That soft coverage from Army, you have nothing to lose in my opinion here. You could certainly throw a pick six here and all of a sudden, you know, this is, this is a different story that we're talking about today. But if he's your senior quarterback, if you trust him with everything, why to me are you cuffing him right at that moment?
0: Yeah, and not, not to say that you don't trust in Jared. I mean, obviously he did in that moment, but you know that he's had a bad field goal you've got frank who's in a rhythm i mean he marched down the field in 25 seconds the game before that you've got a minute that's like four times as much time like, why did we choose to run the ball and be conservative you know we're sitting in the stands and of course this one over here Tove says sweep the leg why are we going for a field goal
1: <laughs> well here's another thing Because he's driving towards the cadets. And I I was just like, just take their heart out and show it to them. Like, I just wanted, I wanted Frank to just essentially end the game there. Why try to even go into overtime? I'm done with overtime. I'm done with, like, I I think we've seen enough overtime. Right. (laughs) For the, I think, for the rest of the season. Adjust there. But honestly, why not let Frank go there? Why not just let him take the offense down, set up the game-winning touchdown, because he certainly could have done it. And I think he showed in overtime, because there he was again. Like, threw a okay. slant right there to Zakari, which gets him down to the five, and then throws a perfect jump ball to JT, wins the game. Why not let him cook Because at the very end?
0: We wouldn't have had the very exciting doink of the coin on <laughs> the, uh, the We'll talk about
1: it. <laughs> we'll talk about it, but. Anyway, let's let's get to the defense. Um, we'll do the preview review here. I talked about shoring up the middle of the D line. Um, look, we did a great job of, and I would say kudos to Lep. I have, you know, had some critiques about Lep. He did a great job of having the game plan to stack up that box, um, really sturdied up that you know defensive line and the linebacker play. I mean, they they just. The linebacker run play and the defensive line were terrific against this option. I get that they gave up 170 yards, but in today's offensive type of game, this I thought was really good football. Yes, they got burned passing wise, but you know what? You gotta take something away and might as well take away their bread and butter and make them uncomfortable. And it made them uncomfortable. <laughs> so um, the other thing was tackle, tackle, tackle. That was my biggest thing. You know, we've we've talked about for the longest time that UTSA has had problems tackling. They did an incredible job. Though you did notice some missed tackles, it was only obvious because they had been tackling so well. Like, mm-hmm. We've done, I think, a great job of teaching this defense of being able to tackle in open field. And that is crucial, especially if you're this disciplined right now in the beginning of the season, as the season kind of wears on, you know, it's gonna be crucial to lean on those skills, especially as, you know, you start playing some CUSA teams that maybe aren't as good as these Army and Houston teams were. Now, secondary can't get lulled into not covering wide receivers. The cornerbacks were terrific. There's a couple of pass interference calls, but, you know, that, that'll that happen. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's Army or if it's Houston, if it's UT. Doesn't matter. You're going get to some, get some pass interference calls just because of the fact that it's so offensively driven. It's just that in this case, it was really the linebackers and the safeties that got caught. I'm not going to say that they got caught looking in the backfield. But I would also say that they just got lulled into having to defend partly the run. And then all of a sudden, they have to go quickly into pass Mm coverage. And if you've got to stand square at the line and you've got somebody running straight at you... Going to be very difficult for you to all of a sudden be able to shift and turn and start running with that person, especially when it's those wingbacks that were small and incredibly quick.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Just really tough. I will call out Nick Booker Brown. The he of the Chucky doll. If you've seen it, <laughs> I thought he was a monster. You know, he had he had a couple of sacks on the, uh, within the game. Immediately made an impact. I mean, that again, this defensive line is so impressive to me. You know, they did a very good job of reloading this line with some, uh, you know, portal transfers. And, you know, I think we're seeing why it's so crucial for this defense. I know we've struggled on offensive line, but this defensive line really kind of makes up for it. And this defense, I think, is maybe not statistically going to be the best in UTSA history, but certainly I think it's going to be one of the best defenses in in UTSA's short history.
0: Yeah, And one of the wildest stories, I think, out of this trip was – When trailers said that had their flight left on time, Nick would not have been able to play. They got the waiver 30 minutes after their original um, time that they were supposed to take off. So because of the delay, they were able to get him to the airport and get him on the plane.
1: It's just crazy. Incredible, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Look, look, he makes an impact. So, you know, I I think... I, you know, I think somebody's sending us some good vibes here because, you know, it, it completely worked. Now, I want to ask you a quick question here. Rashad Wisdom was quiet again, outside of a formal recovery. Should we take anything from it, in your opinion?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I think that there's nothing going wrong with With Rashad I think we've just elevated some of the other pieces and so you don't have to rely on Rashad to be that big playmaker where in 2019 and even 2020 to some extent if Rashad didn't make the play the play didn't happen you know we we put so much focus on him that I don't think it's it's anything other than you're starting to see other pieces and some of that maybe pressure being taken off of him, you know, so he's still playing well, but we're not seeing these like big plays from him because there's talent surrounding him as well.
1: Yeah. I'm going to agree with you. I think it's just, I think it's just kind of interesting to bring up as a point because you're so used to hearing Rashad wisdom on the tackle, Rashad wisdom, but maybe it's a good thing now because these linebackers truly are, I think starting to become quite special. Defensive line is pretty special. So, you know, again, to your point, I think Rashad is able to kind of actually play safety. Right. <laughs> just something that really hasn't, I think he's had the luxury to do in the last couple of seasons. So, okay, let's move on to coaching. Was there something that we knew we wanted to kind of add to this and then talk about? Because there were some kind of interesting things that came out. You know, we talked about Traylor kind of being in his feelings through <laughs> ever since the Houston loss. Right. And r- me really wanted to go, hey, get over it. I really wanted just to hang a sign over. Put it in this win- the coaching window and be like, just get over it. Sign runner fans. Because I was over him talking about Houston. You move on to Army. You talked about the fact that, you know, you give the players just this amount of time. Another thing we noticed, and you brought it up as we were driving back again for after the game, was the fact that Trailer kind of, his game management has been a little odd.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly in the Houston game, you know, he burned all of his timeouts, you know, at points that kind of seemed strange. And he, he certainly didn't seem as confident in that that game in terms of when he had to use his timeouts. Um, and he was probably making up for, I don't know, mistakes from other, you know, um, other coaches. This game he did a better job in terms of managing his timeouts, except for the 10th drive that Army had. So as a second, you know, to last... Um, or it was the last drive that Army had in regulation. And there was sort of this weird call where the official said, official timeout. UTSA is on defense. You see them start to walk off the field because he said official timeout, and then immediately starts the clock again. And so why Traylor didn't take a timeout at that point? Because he had all of his timeouts was just bizarre you know and then you see our defense just very discombobulated and that's right when you know they throw the ball jamal is a little thrown off he ends up bumping into somebody and you know slows him down and so then he gets burned and the guy scores a touchdown to tie the game
1: and i was immediately yelling during that from the end zone going we aren't set yeah and i was signaling timeout because you know, Cause of course, nice you know engineer. the, the refs are going to be like, "Oh, Tove's is send, signaling a timeout. We might as well give UTSA a timeout." But you're right because they had to move the chains. They call an official timeout, and instead of letting both teams get set up, our defense was not was not set up. And I think they even had like we had to get a cornerback out to uh, the receiver on the opposite side, on the Army side of the field. He just got there. I can't remember if it was Fortune or Mayfield. Regardless. To your point, like, you know, we're not set, so why put us in that position? But the officials have been weird all game.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, it was nice that on that last drive we had all three timeouts, you know, I think left at that point. But certainly I think if we would have burned a timeout there, we would have gotten set. Maybe Army wouldn't have been able to score that touchdown. You know, and maybe it would have been a different game because at that point UTSA is up. 35 to 28. And we seemed like, you know, we had an opportunity to stop them on fourth down. We didn't. But, you know, that's when we had the pass interference. But we could have, I think, maybe held them. Or, you know, maybe had them only get a field goal instead of a touchdown and we could have driven Frank down the field. You know, I don't know. It could have turned out differently.
1: Well, certainly, because I I think what you're trying to get to is the fact that i I think the defense was making Army be too methodical. Mm-hmm. And the time was starting to run down. And they came out trying to go into an option, which was, which was weird. Like, why are you trying to run option? Like, UTSA is going to continue to stack the box. And, you know, you got to the point where you're thinking, all right, what is Army up to here? Because they're not, they're not even trying to march down the field. It took them, it gave them so much effort and time to get just past um, midfield and it was getting down to about a minute or so, Mm -hmm. minute and a half or so in the game, so it was like UTSC defense could have made a stop there. Right. Okay, one other thing that we want to talk about in terms of coaching, and I think it kind of spans a couple of different things here, but we get a special teams miscue again Mm -hmm. this time in the first half where we have to burn a timeout because we've only got 10 players on the field. Is Justin Burke... the problem? Is it a communication issue? Is he overburdened by the fact that he's special teams coordinator and
0: tight ends, tight
1: ends coach? I, I mean, initial thoughts.
0: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure what the issue is, but I lean towards thinking, you know, perhaps having him be a position coach and special teams might just be too much right now. And, and I say that only because we've seen Jess Lepp struggle with the safeties plus being the defensive coordinator. So maybe that's just asking too much from those guys. Maybe there's a different, you know, structure that they could look at. I mean, I know we're limited because we can only have so many coaches and, you know, salary restraints, whatever. But there's got to be something different that needs to be done there because it just seems like Burke needs to focus more on cleaning up whatever the issues are on the special team side like can you bring Kurt Trailer back Have give him you know he's the assistant O-line coach while Matt Maddox is O-line plus co-offensive you know, coordinator. coordinator so can you move Kurt Trailer back to tight ends you know and, and give Burke the time that he needs to focus on special teams I don't know
1: I mean, that's a fair question because, if, you know, you just have Kurt Trailer. He's the only one that's an assistant position coach. So why can't he put on a couple more, you know, some, put something else on his back as well? I feel like what you brought up is a terrific point here in terms of really questioning this coaching staff because, I I don't know. I mean, it just feels like they've kind of tossed trailer, Kurt Trailer to the side. And be, in doing so, I think it's hurting the rest of the coaching staff. At least two games in, that's what it feels like. There's just been so many miscues, so many communication issues. You can only blame it, I think, so much on injuries. I don't see that injuries is what is causing this problem. I think what it is is just communication issues. And it feels to me like, you know, these coordinators just need some more help. So, uh, you know, Trailers never going to outright throw anybody on the bus, even though he wants to. He said it after the Houston game. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'd say something, but, you know, coaches' wives are listening, blah, blah. Who cares? Who cares if the coaches' wives are listening to just say, we're trying to handle some things, we're trying to work on some things.
0: We need to fix it.
1: We need to fix this communication issue because it's going to affect us if we don't get this solved now. So, I don't know. To me, I think Kurt Traylor, look, I'm not trying to. we're not trying to pick on him at all, but certainly looks like he could definitely take on some more responsibilities here.
0: Are you trying to say that maybe he's being retaliated against for uh... – following Texas Tech Twitter during the whole is trailer staying, is trailer leaving thing?
1: Look, I'm not saying that, that Scott Frost was, you know, fired this weekend at Nebraska and that now trailer is potentially a coaching candidate, so he may have started following Nebraska football. I'm not saying that he did follow it, but I wouldn't be surprised if you look over at Kurt and Kurt's Twitter account, he's following Nebraska. Like, come on.
0: He's gone uh, red all of a sudden. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but anyway, final thoughts on the game.
0: I think, you know, overall, this, like I said in the beginning, it wasn't pretty, but this was the win that we needed going into next week. Well put. Normally we say, at this point, what did we learn from the game? But given that we were up there in person this time, what did we learn from our trip to New York?
1: Well, we did some, a little bit of wine tasting um, that we were looking for is, since we stayed in West Point, actually Highland Falls. Found out that... uh Texas wine is much better than New York wine. Yeah. I'm not sure what New York wine was trying to prove, but it felt like they were trying to sweeten some cough syrup and pass it off as fill in the blank.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, if you talk to people from California, they will tell you how awful Texas wine is, but I can find something drinkable at any winery that we go to. New York, not so much.
1: I can validate that, everyone, because we, we went to Brotherhood, the oldest, or the America's oldest winery, and we did a wine tasting, and Hato's was not having any of them.
0: Now, on Sunday, we did cider tasting. Whole different story. Much better. Much better. Yeah. The Hudson Valley can do cider. They just don't do wine.
1: So, in saying that, we were going to some c- cideries, I guess you can say, and... As we're driving back, we're really going through, <laughs> ways took us through rural New York. Yeah. And when I talk rural New York, we're talking r- rural.
0: Yeah, middle <laughs> of nowhere.
1: <laughs> I Having problems getting this out because it's going to be hilarious when I say this, but there was literally, and I should have taken a picture of this, and I'm really hating the fact that I didn't, but it was a self-serve ground beef station that we passed.
0: It, it literally was a shed on the side of the road with a sign that said self-serve ground beef station. What is that? I mean, (laughs) somebody from the Hudson Valley needs to help me understand (laughs) what that is. I mean, I used to travel to Albany at like that surrounding area every month and drive around little small towns in you know upstate new york i've never seen a self-serve ground beef station that sounds like something you would see in texas <laughs> <remember>. frankly right <laughs>
1: that's what i was going to say but it was essentially he was it was even funnier here is that it was like a a double um, mini fridge <laughs> and it was like there was a a sign that i clearly saw that was like help yourself i'm like Is this packaged? Is it literally just meat right in there? You just kind of scoop it?
0: Like a a library where you drop off the books and then you can go pick up and... Yeah, I don't...
1: But this mini fridge was on top of a bunch of hay. There was a bunch of hay in this little shed, which made it even more bizarre. Not to mention the fact that it was raining. I think... How do we stop? Not touching any
0: ground beef from... random refrigerator on the side of the road. It's so weird.
1: If we want to know where COVID-22 starts, I think it's going to be this rural (laughs) ground beef station. Uh, Anyway.
0: Yeah. Kind of going back to, to the Army game itself, you know, one of the interesting things was I was surprised by how many fans were at the game that were in no way affiliated with the Army. And you know, you talk about, like, t-shirt fans of, like, you know, UTSA or UT. They were t-shirt Army fans. You know, they didn't know anything about UTSA. I'm
1: not even sure if they really knew a lot about Army itself. <laughs>
0: right. It, and, you know, and it's odd because, again, if you are truly an Army fan, even if you're not affiliated with the military, you should know that this is the third time that we've played Army in the last four years. But they just seemed absolutely like oblivious to that. You know, we had people asking us, "Where is you? You know, where does U- UTSA from?" There were radio guys in the like alleyway, kind of tailgating area right outside the stadium that were talking about UTSA being a JUCO from Philly or somewhere. It's like, what? What? It's just very odd. Now, I think if you ask someone who is in the military or affiliated with the army. They would know where San Antonio, you know, is and probably have heard UTSA or at least known that we've played them previously. Um, But that was really kind of interesting. And then just seeing all of the, you know, beat Navy signs everywhere, it was like, okay, I get this is your big competition, you know, and this is your big rivalry, but you're not playing Navy, you're playing UTSA. Now, during the game... (laughs) Um, we had some interesting fan interactions. Um, we got heckled by some little kids, again, wearing Army Beat Navy, or, you know, beat Navy T-shirts. And, yeah, they they were quite obnoxious.
1: Um, yeah, I, I just kept telling Atos. I was like, look, that kid over there is really feeling himself. And then all of a sudden he started heckling us, him and his two friends. And, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, once they came over and started heckling us... But, like, the tide turned in the game, too. Right. I would have said this in the recap. It wouldn't have made as much sense. But now, you know, I think that's really where it started. Um, And so, you know, (laughs) we did get that afterwards. We went to um, Bayer Hotel. We were in the bar area just having a couple drinks before we went back to our hotel room. And there were other fans in there, Army fans. One one couple was kind of weird in particular because they asked, again— who our son was on the team. Yeah,
0: they just seemed very, like... I I don't know, just very surprised that we would be willing to travel all the way to West Point to watch a football game, just as a a fan.
1: Yet, they were also from New Jersey, which is obviously not too far away, but they were from New Jersey, and they traveled, and they didn't have a kid on the team. So I was like, you should essentially be... um,
0: More understanding of... Especially of
1: us, right. Like, I didn't understand why you walked... Just went like, up there for the heck of the game. So but, it's like, why, why wouldn't we travel?
0: Because they're willing to drive, you know, an hour to go to the game. They're not willing to fly three hours to go to the game. But That's
1: fair. But still, I mean, you're, you're it's not even, you have no connection to the team. So yeah. So anyway. Apparently
0: I'm looking to adopt someone on the team.
1: <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Last thing we'll say is that it was really interesting. And I'm sure we actually heard it in the rewatch, UTSA fans were loud. Um, We were split. There was a group of us in the end zone. There was a group that was right behind the bench. You know, clearly they didn't want us together because we were quite loud. And the podcast we listened to said it was unbelievable to them that UT State fans were so loud. So,
0: Trailer mentioned it in his um, media roundup as well. You know, so obviously Trailer could hear it too.
1: Yeah. What was great about this, though, is that, you know... Last week we talked about artificial dome noise. It's not artificial dome noise. It's just regular UTSA fan noise. Yeah. It travels too, along with the triangle.
0: All right, let's move on to the players of the game.
1: All right, well, I've kind of already kind of mentioned them, but I'm going with the whole linebacker crew on defense. You know, I, I feel like between the inside linebackers and the outside linebackers, this was a crucial game for them. If they stay disciplined and tackled, we are going to be in a good spot. Look, they got torched a few times in terms of, you know, the passing game. But overall, they played such a really crucial game in terms of stopping that Army run. It got us a win, so who cares, right? Statistics are statistics, but like I said, I think this group is going to be special. Maybe not the most statistic best statistical UTSA defense, in, you know, in, in the short history, but certainly one of the best that I've seen take the field. On offense, Frank is still a guy. I mean, I just... I don't know where this UGSA team is without Frank and the level that he's playing at. He is putting up some really gaudy numbers. They're essentially video game numbers that you would put up if you put it to the lowest setting and said, all right, I've created this quarterback. I'm going to have him run all over the field and just pass all over the field. That's what Frank's doing. Uh, if he keeps up this pace, it's going to be hard not to start hearing those Heisman <laughs> Heisman discussions even Davy O'Brien, you know, quarterback awards. There's going to be some things that are going to be talked about in terms of Frank. So, you know, I, I know that uh, I know I've been critical in the past, but let me tell you, you know, he's playing at such a high level that uh, let's just hope it continues.
0: And then for me, I've got to throw in an honorable mention. Again, we talked about this earlier, but Caleb Cantrell recovering the muff punt. You got to give him some kudos. Long slap, long snapper rarely gets kudos, right?
1: Exactly. Well, 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 look who is up next, but Big Brother, University of Texas Longhorns. We're going to go ahead and go into our preview for this week, which I am going to go back and refer to it as Brees Hall from Iowa State once said, five-star culture versus five-star athlete.
0: I think that is my favorite quote from Brees Hall and just epitomizes what UTSA will be facing this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, UT is clearly going to be the more athletic team, the stronger team, the bigger team. They are big brother, right? They've got every resource that UTSA doesn't have. I get they just played Bama, and they almost beat Bama, and everybody's so excited on the UT side. But anybody can get up for Bama. We've seen it. They're, they're the big dogs in, in college football. They go somewhere, or they host someone that team gets up to play them. Hell, UTSA would get up to play Bama. I don't think we'd see as much difference between UTSA getting up for Bama or UTSA getting up for Army or you know UT, because of the culture, right? But UT doesn't have that type of culture, and I think that that's really why I'm bringing this up, is it's a five-star culture here at UTSA. They've got five-star athletes, and are they gonna be able to get up to playing UTSA after this Bama game?
0: If it's anything like it's been in the past with UT, no. This is a team that has lost to Kansas and a not very good Kansas last year because again I don't know that they have the culture that will sustain them. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that UTSA is gonna waltz in and win but It gives us an advantage because UT, again, just played Alabama, feels like they should have won, and now they're facing a laundry list of injuries to their players. Do they have the culture that will support the third-string quarterback coming in and playing at its best?
1: And that's the question for Sark. I mean... Sark has had to answer a lot of these questions, and to me, UT has not had a culture ever since Mac Brown, and even that culture kind of whittled away at the very end, and that's what got him fired essentially. But to me, I I just think that obviously that's not the one and only thing that's gonna stop this or make this you know a game. I, I but it is a huge question mark coming out of Austin is can they get can they have or utilize their culture? to beat UTSA. So let's get into the offense for UT. We actually don't know who's gonna play quarterback, which is the weirdest thing. Normally I could say, oh, at quarterback, here's who's gonna be playing. Um, you know, even before the injuries, Quinn Ewers, I thought, was okay. I, I don't I don't really see him as a great leader of a team. I could be wrong. You know, I've been wrong before in a lot of other things, but Hudson Carter would be the guy that I think would be up next, but again, he got hobbled. I still think Hudson Card plays, but in case he doesn't, we're talking about Charles Wright or Rashawn Johnson in the Wildcat. They have again, they have other you know quarterbacks they could potentially use, but and I think you know Trailer kind of mentioned it too. I think it was on Orange Bloods where he said you know I feel for for Sark because I was in that my first season at UTSA with four quarterbacks in the first month of the season. Here he is essentially two games in and he's down quite a bit certainly I look I'm not gonna say that the quarterback position isn't important we know what happens when you don't have a good quarterback especially at UTSA however with all the weapons that UT has and really I think how good of a coach I still think that Sark is it's not I think as you said before it's not going to be just a slam dunk yeah so I think the other I think crucial Players here, obviously Bijan Robinson, running back, who's also hobbled, (laughs) but I still think still plays. You know, even even if he doesn't, you know, there's they've got some other backups that you know are, are obviously pretty talented. Wide receiver wise, and this is what kind of concerns me. Even though we've had a good secondary play, especially from the cornerbacks, you're talking about Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy, who are just explosive and just dangerous wide receivers. I don't know that UTSA can afford to go one-on-one with these guys. So if they start playing a little bit more zone, if they have to shade over to help, you know, coverage help, what does that look like? We saw some of the issues that they had against Memphis adjusting to that speed. Do they have some of those issues this season against UT? It's going to be a question, right? On defense, man, that, that front seven is killer. You've got, I hope I say his name right here, but... Keandre Coburn, he's a monster defensive tackle. He's going to give Maka everything he's got to handle. He's going to give the guards, Kevin Davis and Terrell Haynes, who I believe are probably going to be the starters, everything that they can handle. It's it's going to be a tall task for them. Not to mention Baron Sorrell, who's their defensive end. He's going to go after our offensive tackles, which we've talked about already, some of the struggles we've had in terms of offensive tackles. Uh, so, Certainly something that, and even trailer has talked about, something that they're probably salivating up in Austin. One last guy to mention, and not to say that there aren't any other great players on that defense, but DeMarvian Overshawn is a stud at linebacker. Um, certainly can fly all over the field. And certainly going to be a guy I think that's probably going to be, I'm going to say potentially shadowing Frank in a way, but certainly going to be in the mix. We're probably going to hear his name quite a bit on Saturday night. So, keys to victory. Look, not much is gonna change here, but first thing is be patient and efficient. We talked about it against Army, we talked about it against Houston, against Army, they were 11 for 15 for 16 on third down conversions again. Doesn't always mean anything, but when you're converting those and extending drives, that's crucial, you know, whoever you're playing. Second key, let Frank cook. Trailer, let Frank cook. There's really nothing to lose here against UT. So you know, to me, it's like just let him grip it and rip it. I mean, you don't have to go up there and try to you know, I think get fancy, unless you think you're auditioning for the UT job after Sark gets fired. But you know, to be honest with you, just just let Frank cook and let him conduct this offense, and I think we'll be fine. You know, you can expect excuse me a ton of different things, but You know, I think the more that you try to overthink things, um, the more that you're going to get this UTSA team thinking more than they are just out there playing free. I think they just need to play free, hence let Frank Cook. Um, On defense, um, Can UT offensive line, hold up against a sturdy UTSA defensive line uh, and linebacking crew. They held up against Bama, but again, they got up for that game. They've had issues on that offensive line, and that's been something that's been kind of I would say UTSA fans were kind of salivating over you know, over the summer. So is that a thing? Is that going to be something that is going to be crucial here? I think so. I think that's going to be something, an area to watch. If it's one to watch for UTSA, certainly be one to watch for UT. The last thing is, and I can't stress this enough, tackle, tackle, tackle. With the explosiveness of these UT weapons, you just got to make sure that you're able to make those open field tackles. And if you're able to do that, then... You know i think this game stays a little bit closer so way too early prediction does five-star culture beat five-star athletes in this case can we get an answer to that question if we do get it early this could be trouble for utsa meach might be back for utsa at you know at left tackle but it's still going to be a tough assignment to come in against ut <laughs> I mean, they've got some players so that's going to be very difficult to do your first game back this is, to me is going to be the toughest game Uh, for UTSA uh, Especially going up to DKR and having to play in front of the UT fans. This is gonna be five times the fans possibly than they saw up in Mickey Stadium, you know, Mickey Stadium maybe was about 22,000 If even that on Saturday, this could be up to a hundred and this is, you know, we're playing UT which obviously is gonna draw quite a bit of uh, fans here Look UT hasn't lost lower-run P5 teams that we remember. Wait, hashtag Kansas 2021, as you mentioned earlier, right? Um, But look, great teams cover. And we're looking at you, UTSA. So far, whatever I picked, it's always been the opposite result, right? So let's just keep it going. (laughs) Give me UT, 43-31 over UTSA. Runner fans, you know what I'm talking about. Wink, wink.
0: Show up and wear blue. And again... Hope that Toves is wrong. Let's do it. Before we go, a couple of surprising results from this week's Conference USA teams. UAB lost to Liberty 14-21. to UAB going into the game was a six-point favorite. Not exactly sure what happened in this game, but apparently there were no passing touchdowns in the game. This was a completely a ground game. Um, and just a little surprising to see UAB lose to a team like Liberty.
1: Could be the Bill Clark effect, like the fact that they don't have they don't have him on the sidelines. So I think maybe this is where we start seeing that kind of dent in their armor.
0: Yeah. The other big surprise in Conference USA was that FIU lost to Texas State, and not only did they lose, they lost in amazing fashion. Texas State beat them forty-one to twelve. It was the largest margin of victory for the Bobcats since twenty sixteen, when they beat UIW. Hmm. So that bodes well for when we play FIU in the future. <laughs> um, and then in some Big Twelve news for our nephew, who is a graduate of Kansas. Shout out to the Jayhawks, who are two and zero for the first time since twenty um, since twenty eleven, and um, of course. One of my personal favorites, Iowa State, brought home the Cy-Hawk Trophy. They beat Iowa in just a really, really <laughs> ugly game. Nothing pretty to say about that game, but Iowa State brought home the Cy-Hawk Trophy for the first time since 2014, Matt Campbell's first win, so um, hopefully things are looking up for that series in the future.
1: And I can't say his name correctly because they pronounce it 18 different ways, but I think. I'll say it is Kansas coach Lance Leipold. Again, probably said it wrong. Look, with the Nebraska already job coming up, some of the things he's doing at Kansas. Don't be surprised if his name starts like really bubbling up for Nebraska because of the fact that, well, he's not a sexy hire. He's a very good coach, and you know, I again, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a look at that Nebraska job. Just like Matt Campbell, there you brought up for Iowa State. They're already looking at Nebraska. So, again, they don't sound like sexy hires, but when you're just a really good coach, your name's going to be thrown around. Hashtag JeffTrailer.
0: That wraps it up for us this week, folks. Thanks again for joining us on the Hail Mary Podcast. I'm Atoves.
1: And I'm the Toves.
0: We'll be back next week to recap our game against UT.
1: Birds up.